Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip, it's Top of the Food Chain. And now your host, he's one part mohawk, two parts attitude, and a touch of what the f***, it's Al Mancini. so great when it's only Scott doing the applauding out there. The studio is empty today. I am sad, but have no fear. You're in for a good show. Welcome to the Top of the Food Chain at the Vegas Video Network. I am your host, Al Mancini. Much like some of the Chinese cuisine we'll be talking about later on in this show, you may get, you may get filled up on me during this half hour, but trust me, you're going to be hungry for me soon. Anyway, um, we've got a lot to talk about today, but first, let's tell you where you can find all this great Vegas Video Network programming. Well, easily enough, VegasVideoNetwork.com. We've got, what, nine shows now, Scott? 200? 247. Uh, we've got a billion shows, all at VegasVideoNetwork.com. Right. You can find them at iTunes. You can find them at YouTube. You can watch us on our Roku channel. Um, I don't know. We're, we're pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can listen to all of the programming except the dirty guy every Friday night. And I'll let you guess who that is. Every it isn't me, surprisingly. But all of the programming, except the Dirty Guy, every Friday night will be aired in audio at KSHP 1400 AM right here in Las Vegas. And if you're listening and you have a question for a future show, we've got a chat line. Write this down. Don't take your hands off the wheels. Just memorize it, actually. It's 866-966-4599. If you are watching live right now, get in the chat room. We're going to be talking about some Asian cuisine with one of Las Vegas's, if not the country's foremost experts on Asian cuisine, my good friend Max Jacobson. He'll be here in a moment, so if you want to talk, we're going to start with Chinese and Japanese. If you have any questions, we're going to tackle the basics, or he can pretty much handle any question you have. If you have a question for a future show, you can email Email that one to us at food at VegasVideoNetwork.com. I think I'm done with all the plugs. Oh, actually, no. Let's plug one last thing before I move on to chat with Scott. We always get great merch up here at the Vegas Video Network. We've got some nice stuff. All of our friends from the various booths and food companies, they come by. So Guinness gave us a nice little hat, nice little t-shirt. And Scott and I were chatting about how wise you people were. And he, he wanted me to throw out this as a trivia question. First one that gets this right in the chat room. So go register. Email. Oh, excuse me. First one that emails it to us, food at VegasVideoNetwork.com. First one we get, correct answer, you get a nice hat and t-shirt from Guinness. You have to be in America because he doesn't want to send things overseas because he's got a problem with customs. It's a long story, but Turkish prison, we don't want to get into it. But anyway, if the word muling means anything to you, but we're not going to go there. Um, Anyway, question about Guinness. It's basically, where, where is Guinness from? Is it an English beer, is it a Scottish beer, or is it an Irish beer? I thought that one was fairly easy, but hit us up, get on the email, and the first person that gets that in wins a nice little hat and a t-shirt. In the meantime, before we get to Max, which will be just momentarily, I got to talk to my buddy Scott and say konnichiwa, Scott. Konnichiwa, my brother. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's been a crazy week. Yeah, what have you been up to? I um, actually, I judged a food contest on Saturday, which was a lot of fun. Played to Las Vegas, had to get up early, got sunburn. It was kind of 
not my normal thing. I was up judging food at 10 o'clock in the morning. But um, I got to do it with Miss Nevada, which ah, was sort of cool. Nice. She's a fun girl, man. So you're up at the crack of 10. <laughs> I was. I was up and working at the crack of 10 on a Saturday. That's unheard of. Well played. Um, yeah, but only to hang out with Miss Nevada, who was wearing a very nice um, black leather or leather-esque miniskirt. I often wear the same kind of thing. Well, that's because you're Mr. Vegas Video Network. I am, but the chafing is a problem with the leather for me. Right. It was a lot of fun, though, actually. Chef Sam DeMarco came out and did it, and um, that, that was a lot of fun. Also, yesterday, Scott, remember we were talking about white truffles recently? Yes. I, well, we had $5,000 of truffles in the studio. We had $5,000 worth of truffles in the studio, which was about two and a half pounds worth of smaller truffles. They were selling for about 2000 2500 a pound. That's, that's about what the smaller truffles have been going for. But Scott, you know what they say, big is better, right? Every time I date somebody, yes. That is what they say, or they say bigger is better. Stop it, <laughs> making me cry. Anyway, I went and saw a 1.16 pound truffle yesterday. Yikes. Do we have the photo up there, man? This thing, I mean, just, yeah, that's it in my hand. It's just absolutely massive. And um, this thing, a white truffle, beautiful, from Piedmont. It sold for, I'm told, they won't confirm it at Caesars Palace, Guy Savoie, which bought it, but they will not confirm it officially, but I've been told $7,000 for that God. truffle. So how much money will that truffle uh, bring in for them? Um, it will bring in probably the same amount of money as if they had bought a bunch of smaller truffles, which would have cost them one quarter the amount of money. Chefs love bragging rights when it comes to white truffles. They want to have the biggest, the best. No one I know in this town has seen a white truffle over a pound here in a very long time. I know I spoke to a chef today who had seen it, but it was in wine country, and his was about a pound. Um, the, the, it's just really bragging rights. And the bigger they get, the more people want to pay for them. And it's a little insane, but it was cool as hell to go see it, man. We had a chat comment that says, uh, it looks like a moon rock. <laughs> it does. looks like the moon. <laughs> There's another picture where I'm holding it in my hand. It's just with my rings. It just dwarfs every, it's, it's just huge, man. I mean. It's absolutely massive, 1.16 pounds, white truffle. They're going to be um, shaving that at Guy Savoie for the next several days until it is eaten up. So, hey, man, if you want to eat the biggest and the best of the truffle world, that is where you should go. There you go. Okay, that's what's been going on. As I said, very special guest today, Max Jacobson. He's going to be out here in about 15 seconds, so just hang around. Traditional media believes that after about three minutes, you'll tune out. Most Vegas media companies think if it doesn't jiggle, you won't tune in. At the Vegas Video Network, we think both are wrong. The Vegas Video Network is the first and only live online broadcast network that specializes in insider news and expert views about Vegas. We combine great storytelling with the ability to watch when and where you want on your computer, mobile device, or television. Discover the real Las Vegas. Visit VegasVideoNetwork.com. And welcome back to Top of the Food Chain. Did we get the beginning of that? Welcome back, just in case you missed that. To Top of the Food Chain at the Vegas Video Network. My name is Al Mancini. I am your host, and I am lucky enough tonight to have um, a very special guest. Max Jacobson is um, co-author of my book, Eating Las Vegas, or our, our book, Eating Las Vegas, 50 Essential Restaurants. You can read him at Seven Magazine. He also has a blog at unicaworld.com. It's called Food Wine Kitchen. Max and I have had some well-publicized feuds or disagreements over the years, but at the end of the day, this man has taught me more about Asian cuisine than years of eating Asian cuisine. He has probably forgotten more about Asian dining 
than most Asian chefs know. He's the former, I'm kissing your butt a lot here, man, but um, he's the- Feels so good. Former, <laughs> the former um, Asian foods writer for the LA Times, right? Yeah, that's how I started. I bamboozled Ruth Reichel into giving me a job. Very cool. So you, honestly, you know, we, we like to get down to basics, but you could give a graduate course in probably seven or eight different types of Asian cuisine. You've lived all over Asia, you've traveled all over Asia, and you've written about it for decades, man. Yeah, I've been writing about it for almost 30 years now. Wow, amazing. Well, thanks a lot for coming, man. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. Um, let's start, before we get into specifics, because I want to start with Chinese food. Um, because a lot of people only know Panda Express, and that's a little sad to me. But what about Asian cuisine in general? What would you say defines the, the continent as a whole when it comes to food? Or is it a lot of different diverse cuisines? You know, if I had to pick one word, the word would be balance. One of the reasons why French and Italian and Spanish cooking requires wine is because there's a lot of fat in the cuisine, but there isn't anything to help you digest the fat. So Chinese food is pretty well balanced biochemically. You don't really need wine to go with it. And that's one of the reasons why wine has never really developed as a cult in China. Now they're starting to drink wine, and there are a lot of high-end auction houses in Hong Kong that are selling really expensive wine to Chinese consumers, but they're status-driven. It isn't really that they love grape juice. It's more about... <laughs> They want to have that Rothschild label and show their friends, hey, man, I'm cool. Right. I'm drinking Rothschild. Does, t am I correct in my belief that texture plays a larger role in, in, the, in the food and, and cooking of Asia than it does in European food? Well, I can't answer that, but what I can say is that the range of textures is broader in, in Asian cuisine, certainly in Japanese and Chinese cooking where gelatinous and slimy uh, kinds of textures are very, very highly sought after and prized. And I've, Japanese food, which doesn't have an intense flavor profile, you know, my Chinese friends always put it down, the same soy sauce taste, they always say. But they do have a wide range of textures, and I find that that's what puts people off, not the taste, not the content, just the texture, like a raw egg and some grated yam, which you've probably had, right. tororo, they call it. Mm -hmm. It's slippery and it slides down your throat. Well, that'll make some people gag. And then, you know, I, I don't want to get into the politics because I've discussed it before, but shark fin is all about texture and things no, like sea not, slugs. No, not quite, not no. quite. Okay. You know, all those exotic Chinese foodstuffs have purported sexual overtones. You know, like, right. I mean, let's face it, rhinoceros penis, hey, <laughs> doesn't everybody? You know, it's like shark's fin. I'll tell you, there's a proverb in Chinese. Uh, I can say it in Cantonese, actually. Lamian sik yin It's actually loyan sik yin wo, lamian sik wai ko, which means men eat Viagra and women eat bird's nest. Bird's nest which is also a slippery sort of substance. And it's a actual, very controversial. Yeah, it's the saliva of swallows. Right. Well, you don't have to kill the swallow. I think it's more about the, the kids that they make. Yeah. It's, farm it, but... Or no, they, hunt it. people have to climb caves to, to gather the saliva. Right. 
I think it's disgusting. To me, it's like eating a bowl of snot. <laughs> but, you know. Mm, bowl of snot. But to women, some women, they, it's highly prized as, dare I say it, a lubricant. Okay. So you dare. <laughs> I dare. So shark's fin also is purported to have certain sexual qualities that will make a man more virile, shall we say. Let's start with Chinese. Um, I'm going to talk about the biggest stereotype that I've always heard, especially when you're cooking at home. I want to know if it's true. Is that um, because fuel was very rare or hard to get, that most of Chinese food is done in the preparation, and then the cooking time is almost like that to make quick use of the fuel. Is that truth to that? I think there is. But more importantly, I think if you look at the one thing that Chinese cuisine is missing that Western cuisine has, is dessert. Why? Because eggs and sugar were very rare commodities in China. And if a family had an egg, they were going to mix it into a dish, like when you have uh, mushu pork, right. you know, you scramble the egg in it. They wouldn't bake a cake. Right. I mean, it, it was just too valuable a commodity. And ditto sugar. So scarcity did create these areas of Chinese cuisine. Uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Right. So yes, it's not a stereotype. There's actually a lot of truth to it. Okay. Um, there are, I, I'm going to ask you about four, but as I understand it, and again, you're the expert, not me, there are eight regional types of Chinese cuisine. Is that true or no? Well, you know, you can stretch a point, but I like to use the four compass points just for simplicity. You know, northeast, south, and west, mm -hmm. north. You have Beijing, you have the oily cuisine, <coughs> you have Beijing duck, you have wheat flour buns, not a lot of rice. The South, Cantonese food, seafood, freshness, a lot of greens. The East, Shanghainese food, a lot of cold dishes, eel. You have the famous beggar's chicken, which is chicken that's been baked in clay. And then you have the West, which is Sichuan, the spicy food, the chili, the chili oil. The cuisine that's really caught on with Westerners, I think, that really has lit that really lights up the Western palate. Okay, you, you just named four. I had thrown four up here. And guys, just pull up the four. And I want to see how closely they, they coordinate. Because I, I had said Cantonese, Sichuan, Hunan, and Shanghai. It, it, well, okay. That's what Hunan, Americans know. Hunan, if you look at the map of China. Hunan is between Canton and Sichuan. Okay. Sichuan, which literally means four rivers. Mm -hmm. Chengdu, Chongqing, basically Western China at the end of the population centers. If you go west from there, you're in no man's land. You're in Tibet, you're in Gansu, you're in Qinghai, really largely unpopulated areas of China. Hunan is northwest of Canton province. Okay. I once took a train to Kuailin, where they have the famous limestone formations, through Hunan province, because there was no direct train route, at Chinese New Year in 1981, and I stood for 36 hours. <laughs> On the train. And I ended up with conjunctivitis. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that doesn't sound like fun. But Hunan is where Mao Zedong came from, and it's, it's a spicy cuisine. 
if, if somebody walks into, again, we're talking beginners, Chinese, if all somebody's used to out there might be Panda Express, you walk into a decent restaurant or you're looking up a decent Chinese restaurant, where would you recommend starting based on the provinces, the, those types of cuisine? Well, that I, just, I just reviewed HK Star at 7, and that is your quintessential Cantonese restaurant where they have the live seafood and, you know, the fish tanks and all that kind of stuff. JJ Sichuan is my favorite little Sichuan restaurant. And again, Sichuan's always going to be spicier. Yeah, cuisine, right? where they have like a float of, of those mouth-numbing mountain peppers or Fagara chilies. I once popped one of those in my mouth when I was very young and I was out with my wife, you know, Sue, and we were eating at a restaurant and I grabbed one of those chilies and just ate it and I, she literally thought that I had been poisoned because I just went like, ah, 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 whatever you do, don't eat that pepper. And she's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? We were like 18 years old. And it well, some people have that reaction to MSG, you know. That's true. Scott, do we have a um, question on the chat line? Yes, we do. Bill wants to know, or he says, my understanding is that Chinese restaurants in America aren't the type of food you'd find actually in China. Is there somewhere in Las Vegas that's more authentic? Well, sure. You know, the Chinese come here in droves now, and they have to eat somewhere. There are a lot of authentic Chinese restaurants in Vegas. We both like China Mama. Yeah, well, that's, you know, more of a Taiwanese place. Okay. But um, there are so many. I mean, if you just drive down Spring Mountain Road, K KJ's Kitchen, authentic yeah. Cantonese restaurant. Um, there's... Uh, how authentic is our Spring Mountain Road? Cause, I mean, and you, especially having worked you know, in, in Los Angeles and Orange County, where I would assume things are a bit more authentic, how does Vegas compare to, say, Los Angeles? Well, I'd say it's still much, much better in L.A., but Orange County isn't better than Vegas. Orange County is like Vegas. You know, it's a diaspora of Chinese immigrants. Irvine is where they're all concentrated. Irvine, Chinese food... <coughs> it's kind of like Vegas Chinese food, in my opinion. Another question, Scott. Uh, two, first of all, what's the primary difference between uh, American Chinese food and Chinese Chinese food? And then Alicia wants to know what you think of ping, pang, pong. Well, first of all, uh, the primary difference, I would say, is that there's much less of a premium on freshness. For example... Here? No, an Americanized Chinese restaurant. Right. They think nothing of using frozen meats, frozen vegetables mm -hmm. to make their stir fries. An authentic Chinese restaurant <coughs> would never do that. Right. Um, and as far as ping pang pong is concerned, they have very good dim sum. Uh, I'm very fond of the owners, Carrie and Kevin Wu. They're great people. Carries from Hong Kong and has uh, a hotel school background. She actually went to school in Switzerland. Right. She knows French. And her husband, Kevin, is from Taiwan. And so there's a little bit of that Taiwanese element in what he does. And they really run a tight ship. It's a good show. And you took um, myself and John there when we had our very first meeting about the book that we did. And it was great. And I want to get to dim sum because that is what you ordered for all of us and, and Carrie came and brought it around. Dim sum, I feel, is 
sadly misunderstood by maybe 90% of America. They think of pork buns, those thick, gummy kind of bready buns that you get when you order in the suburbs, and they've got pork in the center. And that, of course, is one type of dim sum, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, really, right? Well, you know, the Chinese call, they, they don't say dim sum, they say yum cha, which means drink tea. It's a social kind of an event. They go much the way that American friends might gather at a Starbucks to drink coffee, and the food is, to some extent, it's secondary. Right. The tea and the company is central. So there's a whole variety of savory <coughs> buns, vegetables, steamed, fried, right. stuffed. And, uh, you know, there the, are The wrappers are different. They're not hundreds, all thick. They're hundreds of different kinds. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you go to get dim sum in, in China, you're going to get literally, even in the small places, I've been told, there, there are literally hundreds of different types that you can Well, get. don't forget, it's Cantonese. Okay. They don't have dim sum outside of Canton. And the other thing is that it's not eaten after two in the afternoon. And dim it, sum is something you eat basically from 9, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Before 9 a.m., if you want to have a Chinese breakfast, Chinese might typically have something they call a long donut, yotio, which means an oil stick if you translate it, really? not the one you put in your Mercedes, <laughs> and a bowl of soy milk, which is not my favorite breakfast. <laughs> but I remember when I first moved to L.A. with my Chinese friend, and he kept telling me, American breakfast, how boring it is. Bacon, eggs, every day the same thing. And I had to agree with him. Chinese breakfasts were so much more varied, so much more variety. If you were um, if you're gonna give somebody advice when they walk into a Chinatown restaurant here in Las Vegas on a dish that might that would blow their minds because it's nothing like what they've had in Americanized Chinese places in the suburbs, but yet would still be approachable for them. Is there a dish that you could come to? Well, with? sure, there are lots of them. There are lots of really simple dishes, like uh, salt and pepper fried pork chops, a great dish. You serve with a little heap of spicy salt. It's basically just a fried pork chop, right. but it's great. Excellent. And um, I would say I love Chinese sausage, so if a place served steamed chicken and black mushrooms and Chinese sausage, in a rice bowl, chicken, mushrooms, and sausage. I mean, what's weird about that, right? right. It's not fish lips on right. toast. <laughs> it's not Everybody would, your egg or something. <laughs> no, no, none of that salty egg. None of that, you know, sea cucumber, which is kind of weird, let's it's face like it. like a slug, basically. I mean, well, no, it's a plant, but it's gelatinous. It tastes like, a, like you're eating... To me, it tastes like a Super Bowl. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't get it, but hey, you know, I'm not Chinese. Well, look, man, thanks. Um, we're going to take a quick break and talk a little Japanese in All just right. a second. We'll be back right after this one. This is David Ivey for Pub Crawl. It's funny because is David. You should, you should, no, you should just leave it on. Hi, I'm David Ivey from Pub Crawl, and you're watching the Vegas Video Network. And scene. 
Okay, we are back at the Vegas Video Network on top of the food chain. I'm your host, Al Mancini, with my very special guest, Max Jacobson. He has just shared a lot of his knowledge about Chinese cuisine. I want to talk a bit about Japanese. I know we're running a little out of time, but Japanese, first of all, you know, you always say, I don't want to talk sushi, because that's not how Japanese people eat, right? Well, they eat sushi, but it's not nigiri sushi with the fancy sliced fish on top, because it's too damn expensive. Right. You eat sushi in Japan, you're lucky if you get a tiny little piece of tuna in the middle. You get cucumbers, eggs, tofu, burdock root, carrots, wrapped up in seaweed. Sushi's something you eat in the office when you don't have time to go out right. for lunch or dinner. But this nigiri sushi, which is rich... And nigiri, just to clarify, that is um, the sushi that most of you are used to seeing, which is the fish on top of a bit of rice. Yeah. And the rice really is what defines it, the quality Sushi of the rice. Sushi means vinegared rice. Yeah. What you put in it or on it is irrelevant. What they're showing now is sashimi, what yeah. was just up there. That's not and sushi. That is There's not no sushi. rice. Right, there's no rice. Sushi doesn't have to have fish. Sushi is rice, and the rice has to be cooked with a little vinegar, rice wine vinegar, preferably. Right. And then, you know, whatever you put on it or in it defines it. And, you know, what I was surprised by, everyone thinks sushi is raw fish. First of all, not all of it even today is raw. I mean, you know, the shrimp are cooked, octopus is cooked, unagi, which is eel, is cooked. But, you know, I was told by Masa Takayama, and I'm sure you knew this, I had no idea, that 100 years ago, 150 years ago, raw fish was rarely used in sushi in Japan because no refrigeration. You couldn't get it inland. Well, first of all, you have to understand why this evolved. Japan's a protein-poor island. That's why they eat a lot of insects, and they still eat insects in some parts of Japan. I remember when I first lived in Japan in the early 80s, I used to go to this bar, and they had soy sauce, crunchy little crickets lined up in the window. They were going like this, <laughs> and they were all lined up in the window. And you'd take a few of them out. They tasted like little rice crackers. Sushi evolved as nigiri, the fact is that if you eat a piece of raw protein, you absorb much more of the protein than you do of the cooked protein. Okay. So it's more efficient. Right. But people didn't eat it necessarily because they liked the taste of raw fish better. Right. Okay, we have a question, and then I want to move on to a few other types of Japanese cuisine, especially ones you can find in Vegas. But Scott, what are they saying out there? Yeah, Jackie's looking for some great, authentic Japanese restaurants here in Vegas. There are so many of them now. There's Manta for ramen. There's a new uh, ramen place, Anime Ramen. There's uh, Raku, which is a great upscale Japanese pub. And There's I want to talk about Robata, because uh, I'd Robata, like to go through a couple yeah. different types of... Scott, throw this up, because he's going to have a recommendation, I'm sure, for each of these. Different types of Japanese food you can find here in Las Vegas. Um, we've got sushi and sashimi. We spoke about that. Teppanyaki, that's the hibachi, you know, the yeah. throw in the knives. That's something that sort of came about around right before World War I in Japan, when they started getting Western beef, where they griddle all the foods, and Benihana of Tokyo, of course, made the, uh, made right. the form well-known in the United States. But it's not traditional, it's relatively new Well, it's still Japanese. I mean, you can eat it in any Japanese city. I don't particularly like it. Um, How about you know, an itzakaya, which I had up next? Uh, Could you explain what, what the phrase itzakaya yeah, well, is? Yeah, well, if you look at, if you drop the eye, and you make the Z and S, you've got sake. It's a place to drink sake, an izakaya. Okay. So, or an izakaya, as it's pronounced uh, in the West. 
And there are many. There's, uh, there are cheap ones here, like... Uh, Echiza? Uh, Echiza, yeah. That's kind of a grotty little place, but the food's okay. I like it there, but I'm a grotty yeah, little fine. guy. So, you uh, know. And then there's, um, you know, Raku, which is a fancier one. Well, and that's also where Robata, which is the next term I Robata... It's a kind of, they, they kind of cross over, though, those two phrases then. Yeah, Robata is a paddle, and they don't actually have the paddle grills here. And, but it's the same style of But cooking. at a Robata restaurant, <coughs> which is what they do at Raku extraordinarily well, it's all about a little charcoal grill. Yeah. Charcoal grill in the back, um, very special charcoal, I guess, they supposedly use it. Yeah, they call it uh, right. It's a special charcoal from northern Japan. So it's like a barbecue, kind of, yeah. in a way. It's a Japanese version of a barbecue. That's hibachi. a hibachi. Right, hibachi, like a real hibachi, not the hibachi at teppanyaki. And well, it, that's a griddle. Right, that's a griddle, really. Um, but anyway, to get back, raku is a great place for that. It's tiny little pieces of meat on skewers. They put it on, over the, the charcoal. <coughs> yes, all of that. Yes. And um, finally, we have this new place, this new Cafe de Japan, which oh, yeah. is, I Akisaten. think... Akisaten. Akisaten, yes. Well, they're all over Japan. And, you know, if you, most poor Japanese students eat that horrible curry rice, which I'm sure he's selling at uh, Cafe de Japan. I haven't been there yet, but... They have quite a few curries over there, yeah. Yeah, it's basically a starchy, glistening gravy with maybe one scrap of meat in it on a bowl of rice. But... Um, <coughs> It's Japanese coffee shop food, which is sort of Western dishes tweaked in a weird little Japanese way. Yeah, I reviewed it in this week's City Life, and yeah. they, I had a fr chicken fried rice with an omelet on top and then Probably ketchup on top sauce. of that. Well, they called it tomato sauce on one menu, and they actually called it ketchup on another menu, and it tasted like ketchup, <laughs> to be completely honest. It probably was ketchup. It, with chunks of tomato in it. Like, yeah, well, I ate in those places all the time when I lived in Japan because they were three bucks. You know how you always heard... That it cost like $8 to get a cup of coffee in Tokyo? Right. Well, it was 90 cents at Dunkin' Donuts if you drank it out of a plastic <laughs> cup. But if you had a coffee siphon right. and rock sugar and heavy cream from some boutique dairy, it was 8 bucks. Which they have at that new place, Cafe de Japan. Yeah, I'm sure they do because it's, all, it's a big profit item. Right. But I drank my coffee at Dunkin' Donuts in Tokyo for 90 cents. Um, what's your favorite type of Japanese? Most authentic. Do you think it's those those little coffee shops? Or, well, or the I, think, I think they're all authentic, yeah. except the sushi places, which are all owned by Taiwanese and Koreans. Here in Las They're Las not authentic, and they're terrible. And um, a point to people out there, those rolls that you get here in America with 16 types of fish and cream cheese, and they deep fry them, and they put yeah. tempura, that's unheard of in Japan, or at least it was until not anymore. fairly recently. They're starting to eat it. California roll is actually something you can get in Japan now with the crab and avocado, except that here they use surimi, you know, which is Pollock, fake artificial crab, crab with a K. Yes, I know that crab. Yeah, yeah. that's like vomit food. Yeah, I'm not into that. Oh. <laughs> oh, we've got another question, Scott. Yeah, Alicia wants to know, where is Cafe Japan? It's on Spring Mountain Road. I believe it's 5360 Spring Mountain. I know it's in the, um, with Cathay House. It's in the Cathay House um, shopping center yeah. right there. It's I might actually go over there and eat some Hayashi rice after this little interview is cool. concluded. It's a very, very, definitely very cool new place. Scott, do we have time for, do we have one more or do we have time for it? Uh, well, we talk, yeah, you want to talk about the different types well, of sushi? Well, all I want to say about sushi is that, I, you know, there are places like Sen of Japan, which is owned by a Japanese chef, which is terrific. If you, I mean, I like sushi once in a while, yeah. 
But they're different. I did throw up a couple different terms. Sashimi, of course, is your, your fish without any rice. It's very pure just eating the fish. Nigiri, as we said, is what you're used to seeing with the rice on the bottom and yeah. then the fish on top. Maki just means a roll. Anything in roll form is a maki. And shirashi, usually they, it's a wrapped rice, like, you know, you might, if you took a clump of rice and wrapped it in an, an omelet, right. that would be shirashi. Do you see a lot of that here in Vegas? I don't think I've come across it. Oh, yeah, you, yeah. 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 I just maybe never ordered it. I don't order it. Right. I'd rather have a plate of noodles. I'd, yeah, and ramen, which again, Max mentioned, a great type of Japanese food that I didn't throw up on a graph. But I don't think ramen noodles like you ate when you were starving in college and they cost 50 cents. I mean, Manta makes absolutely exquisite ramen noodles. And that's right down the street, right actually two doors down in the same shopping center as Raku. Yeah, Manta's really good. And I don't think they use a whole lot of MSG either. But they use some. Yeah, but, it, but it's wonderful. And nothing in there is going to cost you more than... You'd have to really try to spend 11 or $12 a person in that place. That's about right. It's always crowded. And I like Big Wong next door, too. I haven't tried Big Wong yet. <laughs> Shrimp wonton. <laughs> well, look, man, Max, I know you're a little under the weather. I really appreciate you coming out. Well, I'm coughing. That's okay, as long as your Picked voice is Picked up a little back. cough in Helsinki. Well, um, hopefully you didn't give it to me. But if so, it was worth it. It was great having you here. Sure. You Again, you can check out Max every week in Seven Magazine. You can go to unicahome.com. He's got a blog called Food Wine Kitchen. Um, you write for all sorts of other people. Just, just seriously Google hey, Max, man. Google Max Jacobson, and you will find something cool. Tomorrow we're going to have a mutual friend, or excuse me, next week we're going to have a, a mutual friend of ours, Anthony Curtis, will be here talking about some of the best bargain dining here in Las Vegas. Cool. And we're probably going to have another guest. Not sure quite who it'll be just yet. That's what makes this show so much fun. It's full of surprises. Let me just, before we sign off, say hello to all my friends on the island of Malagasy, where hundreds of thousands of gibbering natives keep my image in their huts. <laughs> Are you a god there? I didn't say that. <laughs> anyway, if you want to read the first edition of Max and my book, um, Eating Las Vegas, the 50 Essential Restaurants, you want to buy it within the next two or three weeks. I'm sure it's on sale at Amazon. The second edition is coming out in about a month, but Hey, let's face it, you want the original, so make sure you get one of each. I, on the meantime, am doing all sorts of silly things. You can follow them at almancini.net or follow me on Twitter, almancinivegas. You got a Twitter account people should be following, Max? Ask Max Jacobson. A-S-K-M-A-X-J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N. Okay. Great, guys. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I'll see you guys next week.